Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries, where we discuss various topics like pop culture, news, politics, and more. I am the host of this podcast, and my name is Shakira. If it's your first time hearing my voice, welcome, and I ask that you go ahead and subscribe. I promise that even if this episode is not for you, eventually you're going to find something for you. And if my voice is not new to you, that means that you're already subscribed and you're already a part of our Carefree family. So welcome back. Thank you for coming back for a brand new episode. You all know how this goes. We're going to hop into our carefree updates and then we're going to have our topic of the day. I am really excited for today's topic just because I did a lot of research and I did a lot of just digging and finding information because I wanted it to be very thorough. So stay tuned. All right, so kicking off our carefree updates, you all may recall last week, um, in last week's episode, we talked about the Louisiana church fires and how three historically black churches were um, set afire, basically. So they caught the guy who did it, and his name is Holden Matthews. He's 21 years old, and he has been charged in connection with those fires of those churches. So they say the motive is still under investigation. Uh, I've seen some mixed things. I've seen some news outlets say that his interest in black metal music may have influenced his behavior, but I think that we should just call a spade a spade and say that he was racist because he didn't set, um, white churches ablaze. So let's just call it what it is. And we have to stop making excuses for people and blaming their behavior on different interests that they have because, Truth be told, black people don't have that same benefit and we are not allowed that same, um, I guess you can say that same margin of error as other people. So let's not do that. Let's just call a spade a spade and say that he was racist, but I'm so glad that they found him. Also, Little premiered this weekend. I have not went and seen it yet, but I will go and see it because I do want to support Issa Rae and Marseille Martin and Regina Hall in their new film. And last but not least, Donald Glover released his new movie and it's called Guava Island. It stars him and Rihanna, our girl Ri. And the movie is being described as a tropical thriller. I don't know what that means. Thriller gives me like scary movie vibes. But again, I haven't seen the movie yet. It is available to stream through Amazon Prime. And it was free for a day, which was yesterday. Today is now Sunday and it's my birthday. Happy birthday to me. But it was available to stream free yesterday. So if you missed it, I think now you have to have an Amazon Prime membership to be able to stream it. But I look forward to going and, you know, just sitting down and being able to relax and see it. Maybe I'll watch it tonight for my birthday who knows but we're gonna keep the carefree updates limited to this small section because i don't want to keep y'all long because i feel like this may be a longer episode maybe a longer episode than usual just because of today's topic so let's have a quick little break here and then we'll be back for our topic When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. All right. So many of you tend to notice some, if not most of our podcast episodes are inspired by something 
that I either see on my timeline or something someone says to me, maybe even in passing. And for some reason, it just sparks like a feeling in me that I need to talk about whatever that thing is or was. Well, this episode is no different. I saw a tweet on my timeline two weeks ago now. Um, and when I saw it, I was logged into our Twitter, this Twitter for the podcast. And I retweeted it just because I thought it was good for you all to be able to see. And, you know, just to share, you know, but the tweet was made by someone named Jonathan Pulliam II. And the the tweet said, imposter syndrome will have you questioning your place in the spaces that you prayed about being in. It's a lie. You're capable. You're allowed to learn. You belong. So on surface level, that sounds good, right? Yeah. I thought so too. So that's why I went ahead and retweeted it. And I just kept going about my day. But then two days later, for some reason, some odd reason, that tweet just popped back up in my head. And I went back to read it again. And when I went back, I was like, wait, 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 wait. What is imposter syndrome? Anyway, so my good old trusty Google, y'all know I love me some Google. It gave me some results. And I went on this like deep YouTube binge of videos about imposter syndrome So I could really understand it because I never heard of the name before. But after doing the research, I can definitely say that I have experienced the phenomenon of imposter syndrome. Now, I also tweeted last week and I asked people, the tweet said, does your potential ever scare you? And when people respond, I ask them why. And one of my listeners, Positive Patty, she goes by Positive Patty on Twitter. Hey, girl. Her response was imposter syndrome i know that i'm doing great but i always put myself down especially when complimented something that i'm trying to stop being judged by others for putting myself out there and i had to tweet her back like girl that's exactly what we're talking about next week but anyway this is how we're going to break down this episode today first things first we're going to talk about what imposter syndrome is and if you're like me and you have never heard of it before or even if you have heard of it but you never really went and got details about it, it's for you too. So we're going to break it down first. After we break it down and understand what it is by definition and all that jazz, I'm going to share some things that I found particularly helpful in combating imposter syndrome. So quotes, um, advice, TED Talks, all of that. And then after we do that, at the end, I will share with you some of my particular experiences with imposter syndrome when I felt like a fraud in spaces that I was actually supposed to be in so I hope you're ready I'm ready um if you plan to take notes today's episode is definitely the day to do that because I want you to be able to go back to something tangible that you've written down so you can reference it from time to time when you start to feel like a fraud all right so quick quick break and we'll be back to hop right into everything so go ahead while we're on this break get your pen get your pencil your paper your notebook all that and we'll be right back okay so what is imposter syndrome now when i was doing this research i read an article on time.com and the title of it if you want to take a look at it later the title of it is yes imposter syndrome is real here's how to deal with it just in case you want to go back and read it for yourself but the article opens up just like this quote have you ever felt like you don't belong 
like your friends or colleagues are going to discover you're a fraud and you don't actually deserve your job and accomplishments. If so, you're in good company. These feelings are known as imposter syndrome or what psychologists have often called imposter phenomenon. An estimated 70% of people experience these imposter feelings at some point in their lives. According to a review article published in the International Journal of Behavioral Science, imposter syndrome affects all kinds of people from all parts of life. Women, men, medical students, marketing managers, actors, and executives, end quote. So that should make you feel better already, even though we haven't really gone into depth about anything. That should make you feel better. Chances are, in any space that you're in, you aren't the only person in the room who has felt like or who feels like they shouldn't be there, like they don't belong. So imposter syndrome is the idea, strong emphasis on idea, that you've only succeeded due to luck and not because of your talents or your qualifications. To many of you, that should sound very familiar. So this phenomenon was first observed and pinpointed in 1978 by psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes. And in their paper, they theorized that women were uniquely affected by imposter syndrome. Now, this may be a stretch, but I think personally that they theorized this for one of two reasons. One, because they were women themselves, so they may have had a bias towards it, even if it was unintentional bias. Or two, they felt like women were more prone to imposter syndrome because women tend to do this thing where we downplay our accomplishments either to make others feel comfortable or because we feel like it's the polite thing to do or some other goofball reason. It's all trash. But anyway, it was later found that women are not the only ones susceptible to imposter syndrome. So yes, ladies, men feel it too. So, imposter syndrome can apply to anyone who, quote, isn't able to internalize and own their successes. And that definition comes from psychologist Audrey Irvin. And I'm giving you these people's names just in case you want to look up any of them later on after this episode is over. If you want to do your own research, you are more than welcome to. I actually encourage you to. Now, I need you to listen closely to these things I'm about to say next. You might be triggered, okay? That's my trigger warning for you because I didn't have a trigger warning when I went and read it, but I was definitely triggered. So, Valerie Young, she is an expert on imposter syndrome, and she has also written a book, and the title of the book is The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. But men, please don't be turned off because this applies to you as well. She found patterns amongst people who experience this phenomenon of imposter syndrome. And she also breaks these patterns down into five different types or labels of people. So see if you can spot which label applies to you. And here are the different patterns. First things first, what she refers to as perfectionists, this group of people, they set extremely high expectations for themselves, and even if they meet 99% of their goals, they're going to feel like failures. Any small mistake will make them question their own competence. The second group of people, she refers to them as experts, and experts feel the need to know every piece of information before they start a project, and they constantly look for new certifications or trainings to improve their skills. They won't apply for a job if they don't meet all of the criteria in the posting, and they might be hesitant to ask a question in class or speak up in a meeting because they're afraid of looking stupid 
stupid if they don't already know the answer. The third group of people, she calls them the natural genius. So when the natural genius has to struggle or work hard to accomplish something, he or she thinks this means they aren't good enough. Um, They are used to skills coming easily. And when they have to put in more effort than usual, their brain tells them that that is proof that they are an imposter. The fourth group is what she refers to as soloists. Soloists feel they have to accomplish tasks on their own. And if they need to ask for help, they think that that means that they are a failure or a fraud. And the last group of people are supermen or superwomen. And this group, they push themselves to work harder than those around them to prove that they are not imposters. They feel the need to succeed in all aspects of life, at work, at as parents, as partners, and they may feel stressed when they are not accomplishing something. So now that we've went through all of the groups, did you hear any that you relate to? Just think about it. Personally, I saw pieces of myself in every single group, Um, not just one, every group I saw myself in. So the Time article went on to say this, and I want you I want to read it to you verbatim because they said it perfectly and this is in response to the question, why do people experience imposter syndrome? So their response is, some experts believe it has to do with personality traits like anxiety or neuroticism, while others focus on family or behavioral causes, Irvin explains. Sometimes childhood memories such as feeling that your grades were never good enough for your parents or that your siblings outshone you in different areas can leave a lasting impact. People often internalize these ideas that in order to be loved or be lovable, I need to achieve, says Irvin. It becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. It goes on to say that factors outside of a person such as their environment or Institutionalized discrimination can also play a major role in spurring imposter feelings. A sense of belonging fosters confidence, says Young. The more people who look or sound like you, the more confident you feel. And conversely, the fewer people who look or sound like you, it can and does for many people impact their confidence. This is especially true Whenever you belong to a group for whom there are stereotypes about competence, young as, including racial or ethnic minorities, women in STEM fields, or even international students at American universities. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Did we just hear that institutionalized discrimination can trigger imposter syndrome? Yes, we did. We did. So it's no wonder after I did this research and I read so much on it, it's no wonder why we hear or see so many, no offense if I have any white male listeners, um, why we see so many white men being dead wrong about something and still standing by their word or being overly confident about something when in all actuality, they suck at it. And that's because if you're the one who's always on the winning side of things and you have example after example of people who look like you doing things that you're currently doing, you feel more comfortable in those spaces. For example, black students that attend HBCUs, they may have fewer chances of imposter syndrome while attending college because 
they are surrounded by people that look like them, people that have gone on to do the things that they want to do, etc. Not to say that you can't experience imposter syndrome at an HBCU, but I am saying that the chances just may be a little bit lower because you see people that you identify with. So now that we know what it is thoroughly, we know the history, we know the origin, the people involved, we know the definition, all of the research. Let's go into the next step of this episode and let's see how we can fight this thing. First things first, I am no expert, okay? Um, I told y'all I had to do the research because I had never even heard the name before, but Um, I've definitely experienced the feeling way too many times. Therefore, much of what I'm about to give you is information that I myself found helpful. There are so many TED Talks, so many videos, so many articles out there, and I will spare you the digging. I'll just give you what I feel, you know, was most helpful and what may be most helpful for you and more applicable to your life in general. So first one I found, it was a TED Talk by a woman named Lou Solomon. And the name of the TED Talk is The Surprising Solution to the Imposter Syndrome. And what I loved about her talk was that she gave an analogy of what imposter syndrome feels like. And she said, it feels like when you've snuck into the back door of life's theater and you sneak on stage, you know, after you snuck in the back door, you somehow sneak on stage and you know in the back of your mind that there is a big bouncer or a security guard outside. And if he catches you on this stage, he's going to snatch you up and get you out of there. And she also equated equated imposter syndrome as having, and I found this one particularly helpful too um, when trying to visualize it, but she said it's like having a crappy best friend in your head that says mean things about you. So this speaker says what helps her in fighting that feeling off is creating what she calls a radical hero. So if you're hearing this voice that is saying, you're not good enough, you don't deserve to be here, Um, you'll never know as much as these other people in this room and whatever else it tells you that really just isn't true. You have to create a hero for yourself internally. And that hero has to be able to call out that voice when it starts to rear its head up. And I thought that this one was a good one because it's going to make you become more proactive when you start to feel like a fraud and you start to hear that voice instead of letting it set into your mind. Once you hear it kick in, you have that radical hero to step up to the plate and says, no, I do deserve to be here. So you have to work. You really have to put the work in to be able to recognize that voice for what it is. And it's feeding you nothing but limiting beliefs about yourself and also lies about yourself. Point blank period. I feel like a lot of times as people, the only ceilings and the only caps that are placed on us are things that we've placed on ourselves. Sometimes it's not the big bad wolf that's, you know, setting this thing in motion to make us feel like we aren't good enough, that we aren't going to excel or that we can't reach those goals. A lot of times we are the big bad wolf and the imposter syndrome is the thing that is feeding that. So that's the first piece of advice. Create a radical hero for yourself so that that hero can internally fight off that voice that's telling you lies, telling you that you don't deserve to be there or that you're a fraud. So second piece that I found and full disclosure, before I give you the next piece of advice, there are tons of TED Talks on imposter syndrome, but your girl, my attention span, you know, it's just not cut out for 
it's not cut out for a whole lot of video so i can only stand to watch so many ted talks at a time i'm good for like two and three is definitely pushing it for my attention span but i got through three for y'all and the second one was by a woman named pronunciation check okay kentucky ford and she hers was named defeating the inner imposter that keeps us from being successful not gonna lie Sis started her TED Talk talking about math and STEM, and I instantly started zoning out because those just aren't my things. But nonetheless, it was good. I held on in there. And she recounts her journey from attending an HBCU, and I think it was um, Clark Atlanta. I believe it was Clark Atlanta. And she left after she graduated, she got accepted to Harvard for graduate school. And she said the culture shock there, it, it just hit her really hard. And she also had feelings of inadequacy because she didn't see many people that look like her. So she was like, you know, Harvard must have made a mistake accepting me here. Something that I can definitely relate to. And in her talk, she defines what is called stereotype threat. And the meaning of that is the fear of conforming to stereotypes about one's social groups. And essentially, it's like imposter syndrome's cousin. But one thing she said was that comparison will always make that imposter syndrome come up because you have to stop comparing yourself to other people. And she said that if you can compare where you are now to where you were six months ago or even a year ago, and if you see progress, then that's all that matters. So that's something important for you to remember. It's not about who's next to you. It's not about who's younger than you. It's not about somebody you went to college with or someone you went to high school with because we have this really really bad thing about comparing our journey to other people's journeys i've said it before and i'll say it again i i myself have you know been on instagram and seen people that are younger than me and just been like man how did they you know get where they are and i'm older than them like you know and especially people that come from the same place that i've come from and if in my head I feel like they're doing better than what I could have been doing, it's just like that that level of comparison starts to arise. But you really have to get out of that mindset and really kick that to the curve because it's not about you versus anyone else. There is room for everyone to eat. There is room for everyone to win. And we have to promote that kind of mentality and that kind of way of thinking and only compare ourselves to who we once were. So who were you a year ago from today? Who were you six months ago from today? And if you see improvement, then that's all that matters. Now, if you start seeing that you're the same person that you were six months ago or you're the same person that you were a year ago, then it's time for you to do some self-reflection and some self-evaluation and figure out what you need to do for yourself to be able to improve and not about what you need to do compared to someone else. So that's point two advice that I found helpful and hopefully you will find helpful as well and the last piece the last TED talk is by a woman named Portia Mount and her TED talk was titled why does a successful person feel like a fraud now all three of these TED talks were good but if you just don't have the time to watch all three if I had to give you my top one that you should probably watch it would be this one and again the title of it was why does a successful person feel like a a fraud and her name was Portia Mount. So her resolution was to start with recognizing and owning our own values. So realizing that the goal isn't about not making mistakes or achieving perfection. Perfection is 
unachievable. I've told you all that before as well. It's about being able to be willing to let go of the anxiety that keeps us from taking the risk that we need to fulfill our own potential. So her method of getting to that point involves four steps. I hope you're taking notes so you can take this down because I'm going to give you the steps. And then after I give you the steps that she said, I'm going to expound on those things just a little bit. So the first step was focus on the facts. And this step is about taking a look at all that you have accomplished. And I mean, really look and evaluate what you've earned, not just what you've done, but what you've earned. Um, Did you get a college degree? Did you get accepted into a college? And even if college wasn't your thing, did you get hired by that job? Um, Did you nail that interview? Did you get an email back from someone that you really wanted to work with? Did you post the video? Did you create the podcast? And most times when you really evaluate those things, the answers are yes. So you have to be able to look at the journey that you've had thus far and stop downplaying those things. I have a a very bad habit of downplaying things that I've done. I don't know if it's like trying to remain humble. I don't know if it's about not trying to give myself too much because I'm looking too far ahead in the future and not really acknowledging, you know, what's in front of me today. But we have to really start acknowledging and patting ourselves on the back for the things that we've done and accomplished. Her step two was challenge your limiting beliefs. So limiting beliefs are those things that all of us have that say, oh, I'll never be able to do this or I'll never be able to do that. Um, You have to flip those things and say, you know what, I can do that because even though I may not come from a background of people that have done this, maybe no one in your family went to college, maybe no one in your family worked at a corporate job, maybe no one in your family did anything creative, um, anything like that. But you have to be able to say, even though no one in my family did this, I'm the first person doing this or I have no examples of people around me. I'm not able to follow anyone's steps. I have to create my own blueprint. That has given me the tenacity or the resilience to get it done. And her third step was get clear on your strengths. So this step is about not focusing so much on areas that you feel like you're lacking in. Really think about what are you good at and write a list of those things and also ask your friends and ask your family what they think you're good at. And remember when you're making this list, like nothing, and I mean nothing, is too small to list. Are you a good cook? Are you a good listener? Are you good at remembering small details about people? Um, Even things like that are things that you should count because they matter. And lastly, the last step she gave was talk about it. Like we really have to talk about this stuff. This step requires us being vulnerable and to stop feeling like you have to have this ideal or this perfect life that you want others to see and witness. It requires us to have conversations with people saying, dang, you know what? I really feel like I'm not good enough at this or I feel like I can't do this. And my friend Jasmine, she is so good at this with me because last week I posted small story right here. Last week I posted um my first short film that I've ever written. I posted it on my YouTube channel and she texted me maybe like 2 or 3 minutes after I posted it and she was like, "Um, 
excuse me, why didn't you tell me you were doing this? And I told her, like, I still don't feel like it's that great. I see mistakes in it. I wish I could have did this differently or I wish I could have done that differently. And I just told her, like, I had to literally force myself to even post it on my Instagram because I saw so many flaws in it. So instead of me just living in that moment and being proud of something that I had done that I have been wanting to do and really just celebrating that goal that I had accomplished, I was just like living in the negative and just thinking about everything that I thought was wrong with it, right? And Jasmine takes me back and she said, quote, this is what she said, don't overlook it or downplay it. You're going to miss out if you think like that. Embrace your now. And that's why it's important to be vulnerable and to have those people that you can talk to when you feel how I felt and sometimes still feel. So don't be afraid of vulnerability because it's definitely a step in the process of combating imposter syndrome. And the last thing Portia Mount said in her TED talk was um, verbatim. She said, we are here for such a short time. What a shame to use that time feeling like an imposter. Our true gift is to live as our true selves right here today. All right, so we went over what it is. We've gone over the information that I found useful in fighting off imposter syndrome. And as promised, I'm going to give you two quick little personal experiences that I've had with imposter syndrome. But please believe and know that it is not limited to these two experiences that I'm about to give you. I've had plenty and plenty experiences with imposter syndrome. So the first thing is my experience in New York. So I went to New York last year. Was that last year? Yeah, last year, last summer. Um, I had gotten a scholarship through a program and I have talked about the program here on the podcast, I believe a few times. And when they opened their application process for this year, I had told you all about it so that you, some of you may be able to apply. But anyway, I had gotten the scholarship and I was so excited and I was looking forward to it. You know, it was all expense paid to New York. I got to New York and as soon as I got in the room with the other scholarship recipients, I just could not shake the feeling that I did not deserve to be there with them. These were people that I had never seen in my life. Some of them probably will never see again in my life. Um, I didn't know anything about them, only that all of us had gotten the same scholarships, right? But I just kept feeling that I wasn't as smart as them. I didn't know as much as them or anything like that. And I just felt like a fraud. And I felt like, why am I here? You know, I'm just this girl from Tallahassee who went to... Fam, you, you know, who's in grad school at FSU, they've probably gone to these super big universities, have studied abroad and done all of this other stuff. And instead of me enjoying, eventually I got out of it. But when I first got there, you know, instead of me enjoying and really soaking in that experience, I just kept feeling like a fraud and I just kept feeling like a phony and that it must have been an accident while I was there why the program had chosen me. So that was one of my experiences with imposter syndrome. And the second experience is in grad school. Y'all know I'm in grad school and I have attended black schools my entire life. I went to a black daycare in the middle of the hood. 
Um, I went K through 12 at an all black school. I left that school, went straight to FAMU, which is the HBCU with people like us. In grad school, I got accepted into a predominantly white institution. And it was a culture shock for me. Not that I had never been around white people in my life. It's not that. It was just that was my first experience or is my first experience since I'm currently in it. Being around so many people that did not look like me at one time, right? And who had not had the same experiences that I have felt, um, who didn't have the same fears about life that I feel, you know? So it's been different. And when I first got there, I felt like I was not as smart as my classmates. And I didn't want to answer questions in class. I didn't want to speak up. I did not want to ask anything that I may have felt um uncertain about something that the teacher may have said just because I didn't want to be that black girl right because we always feel like when we're in these spaces not everyone but I'm sure some of you have had this experience where you're in these spaces and you feel like because you are the token black person you have to be the face and the voice for all black people because you're assuming that most people in that room have not grown up around a whole lot of black people who don't know a whole lot of black people who may have one black best friend or something like that you know that's what they say um and you have to be that face right so if you feel like oh if I ask a stupid question they're gonna think that black people are stupid that's my experience that was my experience at the school but eventually you know throughout time throughout my time there I had to get out of that and honestly what really made me feel and know that I was not incompetent or that I was not inadequate was just me observing the other students and really realizing that we're all on the same playing field and there's nothing that they know that I don't know or that I can't figure out. And sometimes it's stuff that I know that they don't know. So it's not about feeling less than them. It's not about them having um, access to a better education than me or anything like that. And I know another, I just thought about this other experience I had. It was during the summer. It was my first semester, right? And we're in class and the teacher, I not thinking back, I don't know what this question had to do with any of the discussion that we were having, but the teacher asked, you know, raise your hand if you've ever been abroad, if you've ever been out of the country. And I look around and I am the only person in the room who does not raise their hand. And she kind of looks at me like, oh, poor thing, you know, because I'm the only person who has been out of the USA. And I felt ashamed and I felt embarrassed that I have never been out of the country because I just couldn't afford to go out of the country. You know, my parents didn't have the money to send me to Italy or to send me to Rome or Greece or even just a cruise or anything like that. So I was embarrassed and, you know, listening to them talk about you know, where they had spent summers abroad, where they have family living overseas and everything like that. You know, they spend summers there, they vacation there. Really being able to see that my experience is so different made me feel like an imposter. It made me feel like a fraud. But now I see it a little bit differently. I still sometimes feel like 
you know, I wish I would have had the same experience or the access to opportunities or money or anything like that, like they've had. But it's made me be a harder hustler and it's made me, I think, appreciate a whole lot more. And it's going to make me want to work harder for my future children or my family, even if I don't have children, um, for my nieces and my nephews to be able to send them, you know, to see places that I've never seen or that I had never been able to see at their age. And for them to just never really have to worry about money or anything like that, to never have to um, stress about bills or anything like that. So, I believe that every experience that we have is invaluable. So even my experience in that moment really changed my perception of how I feel um, about being out of the country and being abroad. So that's another example. So I included a poem with everything that we've talked about. I want to leave this poem with you. And when I was in middle school, they, I can't remember the teacher, but they made us learn this poem for class, for credit. It was a great way back in the day. And I'm sure you have heard this poem at some point in time, but the poem says, and I want you to print it out, find it on the internet, post it somewhere, or just write it down. The poem says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission. Excuse me, people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And with that... Keep it real with yourself whenever you start to feel like you don't deserve to be in certain rooms, amongst certain people, and shut that imposter syndrome down when it starts to try and whisper in your ear. Say, nah, I deserve to be here. This isn't by chance. I work just like everyone else to have the opportunity to reside in this space, and I will allow myself to live in this moment without feeling the feeling of being a fraud. And actually, I want you to write that down somewhere so that you can have that as an affirmation of yours. Um, I keep a notebook with my affirmations and I try to repeat them in the mirror until I either start to feel it or I just get tired of looking at myself while I'm saying it. Whichever one comes first, but write it down and here it is again. I deserve to be here. This is not by chance. I worked just like everyone else to have the opportunity to reside in this space. And I will allow myself to live in this moment without the feeling of being a fraud. End of affirmation. So y'all already know the deal. Follow us on Instagram at Carefree and Black Diaries and on Twitter at Carefree B-L-K-P-O-D. And don't forget... Stay black and carefree. And we'll see you next time in the next episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries. Bye, guys.